So God, thank you. Thank you that through every season of the church, through every season of our lives, you are our hope and our salvation, and you are unshakable. Would you make your presence known to us as we continue in worship today? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Sarah Gregory, and I am the adult discipleship pastor at MDRC at the Bridge. And I want to start off this sermon today by introducing you to someone. Unfortunately, no, it is not my new fiance, Andy. Uh, it is my roommate's dog, Nixon. Uh, I feel like I need to tell you right from the start that we did not name this dog, okay? Uh, my roommate decided to adopt Nixon from a rescue shelter. And he came with the name of a problematic president, and Alex didn't want to confuse him anymore by trying to change it. So this is Nixon, and he lives at my house. He's cute, isn't he? Nixon is a blue healer, and even though he looks like an old man, he's actually just about two years old. My roommate got him when he was one, and when he was a puppy, he had been adopted by a previous family, and then they had taken him back to the shelter. And so when Alex got him, he was cute, and he was very sweet, but he was not very well-trained. And so we tried to set him up for success in our house by giving him good boundaries. We said, no, Nixon, you cannot get on the furniture, and you cannot go to the bathroom in the house, and you cannot jump on every person that comes into the room. We asked him to follow the house rules so that we could have a good parent-dog relationship. Nixon, however, did not seem to want to follow the rules. And so at first, it was maybe because he just didn't quite understand them, because he's a dog, right? And he doesn't speak English. So he would jump on the furniture, and we would tell him no and move him off. Or he would go to the bathroom in the house, and we'd quickly take him outside. But after some time, it was clear that Nixon knew what he was supposed to do, but he just actively chose to do the opposite thing. So he would jump on the couch, but then quickly jump off when he heard someone coming because he knew he wasn't supposed to be there. And then after a while of living at our house, he also started eating things that he knew he wasn't supposed to eat. He ate a journal. He ate a pie off the kitchen counter, an entire pie. Um, he ate the contents of the trash can. He ate the dirt from the potted plants in our house. This is a screenshot of a real text thread that happened between my roommate Alex, who owns him, and me. Uh, once he ate an entire box of my other roommate, roommate's fiber bars, and let's just say that did not end well, okay? Um, now I want it to know, I want you to know that Nixon is indeed very lovable and very cute, and I do genuinely love this dog a lot. But Nixon, often in his time in our home, has created some chaos when he's been left in the house. He knows what he's supposed to do, but he just doesn't do it. And through it all, when Nixon destroys things and won't stop barking and actively rebels, Alex, his owner and my roommate, keeps choosing over and over to care for Nixon with kindness. But a couple of weeks ago, she was almost at her breaking point, which prompted her dad to ask her, I just need to check, is taking Nixon back to the shelter an option? And she said decidedly, no, that is not an option. Alex uh, has a tenacious love, a stubborn love, really, and a committed love for Nixon. Now, I tell you all this partly because I have like two million pictures of this dog in my phone, and someone else besides me should get to benefit from them. Um, but, and it makes a good uh, day after New Year's sermon illustration, right? Because who doesn't like to look at cute dogs when they start their Sunday mornings? But 
I also tell you about Alex and her love for Nixon because today we are going to talk about the tenacity of the love of God. A God who stays committed to humanity no matter what. The love of God that stays committed to you and me no matter what. Even when we actively rebel and do over and over again the things we know we shouldn't do, even when we misunderstand and misapply God's word, even when we misrepresent God to the world, even when we make a mess of things, God still keeps choosing us. Now, on a personal note, before we dive into this truth about God's character, the stubbornness of God's commitment to me and to his church is one of the things that has helped stabilize me the most in recent years. Because my commitment to God is not always stable. I don't always love God with my whole heart or mind or soul or strength. I can get apathetic. And I don't always love my neighbor as myself, especially when I disagree with them. And I'm guessing I'm not the only person in the room that that's true of. I don't always keep my promises to God. And I don't follow everything he asks of me all the time. But God always, always keeps his promises to me and to us. And that has made me, helped me feel safe and secure. And it's the same truth about God's covenantally committed love that has also held me steady when I've started asking questions or been in conversations with people who are asking questions about what scripture says about really hard and complicated topics. Things like divorce and remarriage and women in ministry leadership roles and gender roles in marriage and LGBTQ inclusion. Asking those questions can put us on what feels like really unstable ground. Because what if we get it wrong and we don't love people well? Or what if we get it wrong and we misinterpret scripture? Which we are all likely doing on some things, right? But even if we do those things, even then, God holds us. That's what we see all throughout scripture. God's people misunderstand his character and misapply his word, and God stays committed to them. And God commits to keep walking with us through our questions and doubts and misinterpretations. God keeps directing us and redirecting us no matter how far we wander. Because God keeps his promises. We are his people and he is our God. And so we don't need to fear because we cannot go where God will not keep coming for us. So I pray that as we explore this truth throughout scripture this morning... It will help hold you steady as well in this coming year. In the moments when you're tempted to think you've gotten too far away from God, or when you're anxiously wrestling with what you believe or just generally feel unsteady. So I want to take us on a journey through scripture, where we follow the thread of God's committed and covenantal love for his people from the beginning of time until today. I think we can do that in 15 minutes. That doesn't seem that hard, right? Um, but I promise we will not, it will not take forever. But there's a different kind of clarity that we can get when we look at the big story of Scripture as a whole instead of just one point in the story. And we don't often get to do that on Sunday mornings because we're doing a deep dive into a specific text. And so today, I want us to zoom out and consider God's character across his whole story. So would you pray with me one more time before we dive into that? Loving God, God of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob and Leah and Rachel, God who always has and always will choose to enter into relationship with frail and finite and broken people. We are grateful today that your love and your commitment to us is not dependent on our strength or our ability to love or even obey you. 
your love is stronger, more tenacious, more persistent than we can comprehend. So would you give us that assurance in new and deeper ways today? In Jesus' name, amen. So as we follow God's story today, there's going to be this simple timeline graphic of the biblical narrative on the screen. And I apologize, it's kind of small and challenging to read. But if you're a visual learner, hopefully this helps you kind of follow the story that we're going through. Now rather than starting us with one specific scripture passage, I want to ground us in this verse. This verse that repeats more than 40 times throughout scripture. It's part of the language of many of the formal covenants that are made. And it sometimes is said just more generally as a promise of God to his people. This verse is repeated to Abraham and Moses and David. It's said through the prophets, both in times when the people are following God and when they're not. And it's said, and a version of this verse is repeated as the fulfillment of God's promise in the book of Revelation. So this is an important verse, an important concept. The verse says this. The Lord says, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. I, God, will take you as my people, and I will be your God. See, from the beginning of creation, God always chose to be in relationship with humanity. God chose first to walk in the garden with Adam and Eve. And when Adam and Eve stopped obeying him, God set boundaries and sent them out of the garden, but then he kept coming after them. He kept choosing relationship with humanity because his love was so stubborn in the best way. And even when the violence and the perversion and the ugliness of humanity got beyond what we can comprehend, God kept humanity around. He promised Noah that no matter how bad things got, he would not destroy humanity because his love was so committed. And then God went even further. He chose a man, Abraham, and eventually Abraham's whole family line, Isaac and Jacob and the 12 tribes of Israel, and God said, I will take you all as my people and I will be your God. And then God asked Abraham to respond to this promise by setting his family apart through the practice of circumcision. Then, a little bit later, when God's people, the Israelites, were enslaved by the nation of Egypt, God came to rescue them because his promise to them was so sure that when he saw their suffering and heard their cries, he couldn't help but respond with compassion because they were his people and he was their God. So he renewed that promise with them again. And in return, God asked them to obey the law. He asked them to worship only him. He asked them to love their families and their neighbors and the foreigners in their midst. And as a response to the love and mercy that he had shown them, he asked them to remain faithful to the covenant and obey the law. And then they didn't. Like, pretty immediately. God asked them to worship only him. And then the Israelites formed a golden calf to worship. And God said, do not commit incest or adultery. And then the leaders of Israel, the nations of Israel, slept with their sisters or other men's wives. And then God said, care for the widows and the orphans and the foreigners in your midst. And the prophets had to call them out constantly for the ways that they were neglecting these groups of people. And when God eventually led them through the wilderness to claim the promised land, God told them to move forward boldly without fear and then they doubted. The Israelites, even in their best seasons of trying to be obedient, under the rule of various judges or kings, just so consistently did not. They worshipped idols and perpetuated violence, and yet God continued to repeat his promise. I will keep taking you as my people, 
and I will continue to be your God. Now, can we just stop for a minute and talk about how crazy that is? Because God does not need these people at all. God gets really nothing from them. He doesn't need their sacrifices. He doesn't need their resources. He doesn't even need their love or their worship. And they are a mess, you guys. It would have been so much easier to cut ties with humanity and leave them on their own. Because God is eternal and powerful and perfect, and they are finite and weak and imperfect. But God has chosen to love them, and his love never gives up. His love never gets tired, never gets to the breaking point. God's love is just so stubborn. So God, for years, continues to choose this people. He continues to speak to them to try to turn their hearts and their actions back toward him. And they usually refuse. If you want to dig into that reality a little more, read First and Second Kings or First and Second Chronicles, which Pam quoted from earlier. It's depressing to say the least, how infrequently the people of God keep their side of the covenant with the God who loves them. So God's people are actively rebelling, and God then kept sending prophets to give them warnings. He kept trying to call them back to obedience, kept trying to remind them of his love, and they just kept worshiping idols, perpetuating injustice, and giving the world a false picture of Yahweh. So eventually, God allows them to experience some of the consequences of their own actions. They get sent to exile, and they're removed from the land that they've known. But they are not removed from the love and the compassion of God. God still pursues them. The Israelites broke all of their promises. They misunderstood the law and misapplied the law. They actively rebelled. They grew apathetic toward the God who chose them, and yet God still stayed committed. You know, even before the people were sent into exile to experience some of these consequences, God was already promising to bring them back, to restore them to their land, and to renew his covenant with them. Even before they repented, even before they had experienced any of these consequences, God promised that, again, he would still take them as his people, and he would still be their God. And when in exile, they literally could not follow the directions for how to worship Yahweh faithfully because their temples were destroyed and they couldn't follow his laws because they were in a foreign land, God stayed committed to them. And that's most of the story of the Old Testament. In fact, it's most of the story of the entirety of humanity. God keeps his promises even when we don't. God continues to choose us even when we're not sure if we believe in him. There's a verse in Romans 3 that summarizes this reality pretty well. It says, The Jews were entrusted with the very words of God. What if some were unfaithful? Will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. When we make messes and when we get it wrong, God is still faithful to keep his promises, and he still chooses to stay committed to us. And I'm reminded again of Nixon. What a face, huh? Um, A couple of weeks ago, he ate one of my other roommate's retainers after climbing on the counter where he knew he wasn't supposed to be, and he went to the bathroom inside again, and he wouldn't stop barking. Like, he would not stop barking. And Alex, though admittedly frustrated, paid back my roommate for the retainer, continued to try to love Nixon well. She bought him some new toys so that he would be distracted. 
She increased his exercise time, even buying him an old treadmill to try to teach him to run inside. That is a real picture from my house this last week. Um, she keeps feeding him and letting him sleep outside his kennel in her room. There is a tenacity to her care for Nixon that reminds me of God's tenacious love for his people. Because God refused to go back on his side of the covenant. Getting rid of us was not an option for God. He stays in. No matter how long it takes, no matter how we misstep or misunderstand or actively avoid him, God stays in and gives of himself even to the point of total sacrifice. And that's where the story continues. Because rather than give up on humanity, rather than abandon us to ourselves or turn us over to the consequences of our actions, God joins us. God becomes flesh and makes his dwelling among us. And God becomes human so that he can perfectly fulfill humanity's side of the covenant to God. And God offers himself as the payment, the ransom to get us back. And he did that while we were actively rebelling. While Pharisees and Sadducees were completely missing the heart of God in Scripture. While zealot Jews were planning violent revolts against empires. While Essene Jews were sequestering themselves away from others and avoiding public life in order to remain pious. While temple leaders were allowing greed and corruption to overtake their worship. While many in the world were worshiping idols and neglecting the poor. God emphatically stated with his arrival on earth, I will still take you as my people, and I will still be your God, always, no matter what you do. I will come for you, and I will claim you no matter how far off you get, because God has made a covenant with us, and God has the most tenacious kind of love, the most stubborn kind of love and the most committed kind of love. And God has continued to show that kind of love to the early church and to the church ever since then. In Acts and the letters in the New Testament, we see followers of Jesus who are filled with the Holy Spirit, still unable to follow God perfectly. They lie to God and their community. They withhold resources because of ethnic and cultural differences. They cling to their desire to keep slaves and perpetuate legalism that Christ rejected. The list goes on and on. But the grace and the tenacious love of God goes on and on as well. God continued to commit to his church when it misrepresented him through crusades and theological battles that turned bloody. God continues to commit to his people when they say rude things about their neighbors, when they perpetuate injustice, when they fail to obey him. He keeps choosing sinful people. He keeps choosing misdirected people because that is what the love of God is like. And he means it when he says, I will keep taking you as my people and I will continue to be your God. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? I'm not saying that our actions don't matter. I'm not saying that what we believe doesn't matter. And all of the situations I just talked about in scripture, God spoke correction and God allowed consequences. But the consequence was never that God removed himself from them for good. The whole story of scripture is about a God who, despite every reason not to, 
chooses to keep pursuing all of us, even more and more making a mess of our lives, just like Nixon. And this is good news, because your security in the love of God is not dependent on anything that you do. It is not dependent on holding the perfect set of theological beliefs. It is not dependent on how much you give or how much you serve or how much you read or study scripture. These are good and important things, but they are not what hold you secure. The love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the seal of the Holy Spirit are what hold you secure. And neither death nor life nor height, nor depth, nor any power or principality, nothing that happens in the present or in the future will ever be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Because God has taken us as his people, and he is our God, always. So this morning, you are steady, even if you feel unsteady. And you are safe even if you feel like you are walking precarious ground in some area of your life. Our security comes not from how perfectly or how hard we are holding on to God, but how perfectly and how firmly God is holding on to us. Would you pray with me? God, I am grateful that your love is unlike any other kind of love. I am grateful that your love and your grace pursues us and chases us down in all of the places that we run to. I am grateful that we are steady and we are secure because your love is strong and consistent and tenacious and stubborn. So for those of us today who feel unsteady, and easily shaken. Would your love ground us? For those of us who are anxious, for those of us who are asking questions, for those of us who need hope, would your love, your committed love, stabilize us again today? And would that love, God, give us what we need to then choose to love you well and to love others well? out of how deeply we have been loved. So would your spirit continue to work that truth and that reality deeper into our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen.